I felt so honored before I got to speak last night that they were leading worship. We had, we had an amazing worship time at uh, One Assembly Church up in Herculaneum. And, and uh, Kent and Robin, that's where they're pastoring. They're doing a great job there. I love the environment. and the, It's a really cool church and really happy for them. But it was just a, a great night being there. I'm going to, uh, I told you this morning, I'm going to be talking to you about regions and, and, um, and, and places that you go. And I'm going to ask you, have you ever been to a place before when you drove into the city, you couldn't get out of it quick enough? You ever been to a place like that? Um, I remember my wife and I, now I know I throw Illinois under the bus because that's where they need to be, or under the boat, whatever it is. <coughs> and, um, but I remember when my wife and I, we were young, we were 25 years old. Um, and we drove in from uh, Kentucky. We were living in eastern Kentucky, and I'd been working with my dad in the church he was pastoring for about the last year. And, and uh, my wife and I, and we left Tyson somewhere. We, have to, we left him, I guess, here in Missouri with your parents who went on up to Illinois. And, or did we take him with us? We took him with us. We didn't t- leave him with anybody. Okay, there we go. So we took him with us. And we, I remember driving into Illinois, and I didn't really care for that part of the drive, but when we drove into Pekin, Illinois, you ever, ever heard of Pekin? It's right outside of Peoria. We came into Pekin, then we crossed the bridge, and when we came into Bartonville, which is a little suburb of Peoria, I looked at her and I said, there is no way on this planet we're moving to this nasty joint. Six weeks later, we were moving to that nasty joint. <laughs> but the thing is, there was something about it that was just heavy. Uh, it just was heavy at the time. We kind of got accustomed to it later. But there's been a lot of places over the years I've went into or just drove through. And boy, it just didn't feel right. It was just a weariness in your soul, your spirit. Uh, now, some of you are thinking, remember when we went to New York? Yeah, when I went to New York, I was just afraid. I mean, I was freaked out, afraid up there. I was waiting for gangsters to come running around every corner and grab me and, you know, whatever. I didn't know what to expect in, New York, expect in Brooklyn, New York. But there's places you go that things are just heavy and, and things are really complicated. And I'm going to read a passage, and then we're going to show two videos back-to-back. One of them is four minutes, one of them is a minute and 50 seconds long. But... Um, we have some missionaries we used to support, and they're not there anymore. Uh, they were in, um, um, in Cal- Calcutta, Bangladesh, somewhere over in that area of India. And it is a really well-known area for the brothels and women being abused and kids being abused. And, and I remember when, him and, uh, when Kevin and Lucy came and shared the people they work with and all the ladies in the brothels who went out of that environment. He just talked about how, how stringent it is on heaviness when you go into those areas. And I want to go to the book of Daniel tonight, if you will, and uh, in chapter 10. And I want to read something to you. Oftentimes, we, we, you may think, well, he's over-spiritualizing things. But to be really honest with you, everything that we live in is spiritual. Regardless of how you look at life, it's still spiritual. And, and in, this, uh, in this passage in Daniel chapter 10, we're going to read just a few verses here. Uh, I believe it's 13, actually, but we're going to read 1 through 13. In the third year of Cyrus, the king of Persia, a thing was revealed unto Daniel, whose name was called Belshazzar. And the thing was true, but the time appointed was long. In other words, it was future. And he understood the thing, and he had understanding of the vision that he was being shown. And in those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three, four weeks. I ate no pleasant bread, neither came flesh or wine to my mouth, neither did I anoint myself at all till three weeks, whole weeks were fulfilled." So what had Daniel been doing for the past three weeks? He'd been in prayer and fasting. He was in the middle of something, and here's the deal. 
a lot of times you may feel an urge to fast and you feel like God is really laying on your heart to enter into a fast. And you may not always know why. And Daniel didn't know why, but he knew there was a spiritual battle going on. And as he entered into this fast, God began to reveal things to him. And one thing I will say about fasting, it, is, it isn't, I can't tell you that I've ever enjoyed it. I can't tell you that it's ever been something I thought, wow, I just love going on a three-day fast. Because I don't. But there's always something that begins to happen when I enter into a fast. Not only is it God preparing me for something that I don't know is coming, but many times he begins to prepare me for something that he is going to bring into my life. And Daniel himself was, had been on a three-week fast. He hadn't eaten. And the, I don't know if you caught this, but he also hadn't had a shower. Sweet. Isn't that awesome? Yeah, it's rotten. Anyway, and so, um, and I ate no place in, in verse 4. And in the four and twentieth day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river, which is Hedekel, I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in white linen, whose loins were girded with fine gold of Euphaz. His body was like the barrel, and his face his appearance of lightning, his eyes as the lamps of fire, and his arms and feet like a color of polished brass. He had the voice of his words like the voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men that were with me saw not the vision, but a, qua a great quaking fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone. Let me ask you, why was he the one left alone? You can figure that one out. He was left alone. And I saw this great vision, and there remained no strength in me. For my comeliness was turned into me, and into corruption I retained no strength. Yet I heard the voice of his words, and when I heard the voice of his words, then was, in, was I in a deep sleep on my face, and my face toward the ground. And behold, a hand touched me, and he set me upon my knees, and upon the palms of my hands. I want you to visualize this. He's fallen out in the power of the Lord because the Lord is there, and the Lord picks him up, and he stands like this. He can't get up because the presence is so heavy and something is being revealed to him as this angelic messenger begins to speak to him. And he said unto me, Daniel, a man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak unto you and stand upright. Now I want to stop here for a minute because it's very rare that God ever went and spoke to humanity face to face. It's very rare that anybody was ever in a place in spiritual condition that they could handle it. We know that he spoke to Moses. We know that he spoke to Enoch. We know that he used to talk to Adam and Eve. And here he is talking to Daniel himself. But there was a lot of preparation that went into this conversation between him and God. And when he had spoken this word unto me, I stood trembling. Let me stop here because I really feel like I need to stop for just a minute before we get to these videos. There was something going on in Daniel's life, but also in the surrounding area, but also in the future, as God began to reveal prophetical things to him. And as I look at our lives, and we look at the battles we face, and, and some of us have battles that are bigger than others, and some of us have personal battles, and family battles, and financial battles, and other things that go on, maybe in our community, or in our family, extended family. And for those things to ever begin to be revealed and us to know how, we have to enter into a place of prayer and fasting. That's the only way we can get through it. That's the only way we can break it. Because it doesn't come by our willpower. It doesn't come by our knowledge. It comes because something divine begins to break out in our life. Then said he unto me, Fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that thou didst set thy heart to understand and to chasten thyself before God, thy words were heard, and I am come for thy words." But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me one and twenty days. Below Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. 
and I remained there with the kings, the king of Persia. Now I'm going to leave it, and that's as far as we're going to go. But when David, when Daniel set himself in order into prayer and fasting, instantly the Lord began to hear his words. And he began to send a message, they began to take, if you want to say this, took the words to bring things to pass as he was in intercession. And in every one of our lives, there is something that at times we have to purposely begin to attack spiritual things with spiritual work. It doesn't just come with being around good people. That helps. But we also have to get to the place that we know how to battle. We've got to learn to look beyond just, just the natural things that we see. Because to be really honest with you, there's times, now this sounds kind of weird, but there's times when you walk into church, I know things that you have no idea I know about you. I would never tell you, but I just feel it in my spirit. And it isn't, and you know the same way. You all know what it is when the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you about people you encounter or people that you meet. It's one of those divine things that God just does. But on our own scenarios, we have to get to a place that we begin to enter into a purposeful fast and praying. Not just our devotional, but we set everything else aside to begin to battle this thing that we're dealing with. I want you to show the videos. We have uh, two ladies that's very involved with A21, which has to do with human trafficking, and it's, it's uh, Bailey and, and Kara, and it's kind of a goal. They, we do a fundraiser walk type thing every year, the last couple years, and we often think of this stuff as often over in Europe, and you watch movies, and there's movies made about trafficking and all the things that it seems so distant. But the reason I showed you the first one is that this girl was very intelligent, she got caught up into something that she never dreamed she would get caught up in. And it was all in an environment under a disguise. And there were spiritual strongholds and spiritual ties to these types of networks. And when talking to Kevin and, and Lucy about where they were in India and, and, and the brothels and things, there, there was such a, a heavy a heaviness there because there is no joy. And there are things that do happen on our planet that are places of darkness and places of oppression. And I believe there are spiritual oppressions and the things that we have to deal with. And, and there's certain homes. I remember as a kid going to a few guys' houses as a kid, and you go to their house, and when you walked in, dude, there was an opposing thing there. It wasn't a welcoming. It wasn't a warm place. It wasn't a place that I felt like I needed to be. I was always kind of the like Leighton, uh, <clears throat> I was always kind of the chicken. I go somewhere to stay the night with somebody. Mom and Dad, I'm ready to come home. <coughs> I think I'm going to call. <coughs> I think my allergies are going to act up. <coughs> I'm, I'm scared to death. Give, come and get me. And there was something about that environment that I sensed that, that wasn't good. <coughs> and many of us have been in those places of darkness and heaviness. And, and, they're, and they're places of misery because they're anything and they're, they're opposite of Anything that has to do with us. And Daniel has made reference to the spiritual heaviness of the king of Syria and all the things that he was under with that influence. You know, today we have spiritual oppression the same way, you know, the people that are involved with ISIS or, or the Muslims themselves. And, and a lot of the things, I've heard different testimonies with, with people in the Muslim faith that the reason that they do uh, human sacrifice with bombs, that is, and they'll have their kids. And I remember doing a, reading an article, watching a video here in the last few months, about a mother who had a little boy, and she sent the little boy, he was five or six years old, with a bomb on his body to go into a, a, a bunch of infidels. She caught him. I don't know if it was American soldiers or what it was. I don't remember. But she sent him into the midst of all these people, and he detonated and blew himself up, and he also blew up everybody else because she said, we're from a poor family, and I couldn't guarantee him heaven. 
And it's amazing the spiritual blindness that falls upon America. Now, we may think that sounds, that's ISIS and Muslims. But let's look at New York City. Let's look at Berkeley, California. If you've ever heard of a school that's extremely liberal and blinded to the eyes of spiritual things, it's Ber- Berkeley. And it doesn't just start with the professors. It's all the students and all those who migrate there. There's something about it that is a heavy, oppressive, anything that has to do with Christianity is instantly ridiculed and put down and belittled. <clears throat> One of the biggest advocates of Christianity that I've ever met that's in the limelight with a lot of people in Hollywood is Brian Porzio. Brian Porzio was here a few years ago. Man, he is a very, a very polished speaker, very intellectual. Would you agree, Nick? And he has the ability to talk and reason in those spiritually heavy, heavy places. And so when we often live our lives and we don't realize that we may not be in Berkeley and we may not be in New York and we may not be down in certain other places or, or especially Florida where there's a lot of human trafficking going on. But we're still in oppressive places at times that we are unaware or we don't understand why things are happening the way they did. I'm going to be really personal a, a little bit here for just a minute. Uh, <clears throat> there are times that my wife, and I was, my wife and I will experience things that we know are spiritual, uh, spiritual battles even with the grandkids. And uh, you may think that we're completely whacked and, and we may be a little nuts, I don't know, but but one of the things that I've noticed with London and Maisie at times, they will have these, these attitudes and these uh, things begin to change. Uh, last week or so, London is always usually the, the sweet one of, of the, uh, the two. And no offense, Maisie, but just the way it is. And, uh, and if she has something and Maisie wants it, Maisie will say, I want that. And London will go, okay, you can have that and I'll take yours. She's often, she's often like giving that way and, and easy to deal with. But there was a couple days last week, and I don't know the scenario, and I don't know what triggered it, but I remember my wife and I getting and praying over her, and, and then we had a similar thing happen with Maisie, and I got home last night, and she'd been really ugly yesterday, and, and I got her in the chair with me, and I made her sit on my lap, and I just began to talk to her, and I began to pray over her, and I wanted her to pray with me, because there's a lot of times, stay with me, there's a lot of things that begin to flare up because of our ties to the family. Uh, you may not understand this, and I'll, I'll never forget the first time I heard T.D. Jake say this. He said a lot of times you marry into a family, and you're marrying into that whole line of curses that you don't know anything about. And when you begin to talk to that family, man, I notice this happening. I notice this happening. I notice this happening. And that family begins to say, well, that's not unusual with us because we've watched it for years. And all of a sudden you're exposed to something that you've never been exposed to before. And those are principalities and powers and attachments that actually follow through generations. I remember, um, I guess it was last Wednesday night or maybe it's Thursday night in our threshold group. And if, you ever, if you've ever dealt with addictions, anybody in your family has, and, and maybe, man, you're great, but you just want to come and support. We meet on Thursday nights at 7 o'clock, and it's pretty laid back, and I hope it's very encouraging to everybody that comes. So It's kind of an open door. You're invited to come. But as I began to pray with Maisie last night, she sat in my lap, and I began to pray over her. And then again earlier, uh, I think it was this morning in worship, I got her and I sat in my lap, and I began to pray over her because there are some strongholds and things that happen that we don't always understand. And so I, I really tried to focus on little things that I see that could be attacked. You know, some of you are thinking, I mean, he is freaked out and nuts. And I don't want you to think that way, but... I know there are some things that are even genetically passed on, and I begin to pray and break strongholds and believe God for things in this little girl's life. Last night after sitting in my lap, we began to pray. I began to speak to her about some things. At four years old, she embraced me. We got up. I said, let's go to bed. So I took her to bed, 
And we went in there and we lay down and we watched what we do so often. We watched Zach Williams' song, uh, Chainbreaker. We've been watching that now for two years. And every time we watch it, there's a bond. There's something about this little girl that she bonds with that song. And so we, and we I pray over her and I do that because I think we have to be aware of certain little tendencies in ourselves and in our families and in our lives that we have to be aware of because there are oppressive things that begins to happen. Any of you that are in here, and I know I made reference to this many times over the years, but if you've ever had a family that was raised in addiction and you've seen it your whole life and you're the third generation that maybe it was there, it's so easy for you because you've always seen it. It's part of your nature. It's part of your environment. And your environment is also just as spiritual as you are coming to church. What your environment is like. When you walk home and everybody starts blasting each other with profanities and cussing and degrading and all the things that begin, you think that is not spiritual? Let me ask you, when somebody begins to get on the inside of you spiritually, breaking you down and tormenting you, do you begin to feel strong spiritually or do you begin to feel weakened spiritually? There's something about this, this oppressiveness that is on the planet because we know there is spiritual oppression. What is oppression? It's a prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. Mental pressure. And I'm going to give you a great example of oppression. We live in the greatest country on the planet, I have no doubt. I think America is amazing. But let me tell you one weakness that's happened in America. America, through our political system, has begun to mentally, over the past 50 years or so, Get our people to think that we are entitled to everything and that the government is all of our answer. Let me, let me enlighten you just a little bit. I'm not going to tell you, we used, there's nothing wrong with having some assistance sometime. But living a lifestyle of assistance is wrong. And it is brainwashing to everyone who gets involved in it. Because we are not entitled. God established an order of things in our life for us to go out and work and make it happen. Are you still with me kind of here? But what's happening in America, we have brainwashed our people to think that the government has all the answers. There's a scripture in Jeremiah that says, Cursed is the man that depends upon a man. Cursed is the man whose dependence is on the man. My dependence is on him. My effort, my application, my, my exerting myself, and then him giving me favor. But when we become oppressive by government, now we become pawns. And everything we do, we make decisions based on, let me say this. Often, we make decisions based on what the government can do for me. I'm going to go back to John F. Kennedy. Stop asking what your country can do for you. And ask yourself what you can do for your country. One of the most profound statements in the past hundred years was that word. And he had no idea of the future he was speaking to. Oppression. Mental oppression in the book of Mark in chapter 5. Well, I've been in Mark the last two days. But we're going to go back to Mark chapter 5. And I probably only get through this point. I may not go any farther. Maybe touch a little bit on Genesis uh, chapter 25. But there was something going on here in, in, in chapter 5. It says, they came over to the other side of the sea in the land and the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. Well, let me ask you, why was the man living in the tombs? Why was he there? 
who had his dwelling among the tombs, and no man could bind him, no, not with change, because he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces. Neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and he worshipped him. And he cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, thou Son of the Most High? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. And he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, Legion, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now I want to stop there for a minute. Why would this demons, this legion of demons, ask him not to send them out of the country? What was going on there? Why would they want to stay there? What was it about that area that was intriguing? I'll tell you, I'm going to tell you where I think it goes to. Go down to verse 17. Let's go to verse 15. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed in his right mind, and they were afraid. They were afraid because he was in his right mind, which is totally nuts to me, but they were. And they saw it, and they that saw it told them how it befell him that was possessed with the devil and also the concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coast. And I'm going to stop there, and that's where we're going to just rest. It wasn't just the legions that didn't want to leave. The people themselves wanted Jesus to leave. And there's something wrong with us. When we start talking about Christ or we go into an area and people rather have the human trafficking, the drug dealing, the immorality, the abuse of kids, the beating of kids, the sexually abusing of kids. And all the things that we see in the dynamics of an inner city or even in the rural community. I know you all seen this about a month ago. There was a family in California that had 13 kids. What kind of environment did those kids live in? They lived in a place and in, a, in an oppressive area in that house that had no life. This guy lived in the tombs. And the people that seen the light that came in his life and the liberty still wanted Jesus to leave. They didn't want the liberty. And why do people not want liberty? Scared? They live in dependence on the environment they're in. Let's go back a little farther. If you go back to the books of Exodus, and, and Moses was going in to take the children of Israel out. The first 40 years, he dealt with a, a, a captivated mentality for 40 years, people that were slaves. Because they were so dependent on the Egyptians' provision that they never learned how to live freely. So I'm going to stop here, and I'm going to talk to us tonight about territories in our own life. How do I break free from the territories in my life that are oppressive and heavy and the things that are anything but godly? How do I get out of it? How do I break it? How do I break these generational things? If you go to Genesis chapter 25, like Genesis 31, you will see uh, several guys that began to have issues. In the book of Genesis chapter 25 through chapter uh, 31, we see that there was something that kept reoccurring. I am going to close with this. And, and you talk about, and you hear me make references to generational things that, have, that keep reoccurring. Um, 
How many, I know Marvin Rainwater may be the only guy that knows this fella, um, but his name is uh, Forrest Arnold. Anybody else here? Well, Bill, you may know Forrest Arnold. Anybody else know who Forrest Arnold is? Okay, let me ask you again. How many of you know who Forrest Arnold is? All right, Donnie. Anybody else you've ever heard of Forrest Arnold? Forrest Arnold was a guy from Puxico, Missouri. He's about 6'7". Uh, he played over there back in the day when Puxico was a real town and had a real thriving basketball team and dude, everything was amazing back in the 50s. I guess 50s, early 60s. And Forrest Arnold was a beast on the inside. 6'7", lots of man, big hands, super awesome spirit. But when you got on the basketball court with him, he was going to dominate your world. He went to Puxico, and he's there, and after high school, he got recruited by Memphis, it was Memphis State, I believe it was. Memphis State tried to recruit him, and he went, and he did that. He went and played at Memphis State, and after Memphis State, he got drafted into the NBA by a team that had Bill Russell, John Havlicek, Dave Cowan. How many of y'all have ever heard of those guys? Just a few of us. Now, he was about 10 years before their time or eight years, but the Boston Celtics drafted him in the NBA draft. Before Arnold knew that something had to be different in his life because he'd given his heart to Christ when he was a young man. When he was in high school, I guess, and all the way through college, he served the Lord. Matter of fact, when he was playing ball at Memphis State, he would travel and he pastored a little church out in the country. And when he got drafted in the NBA, instead of going through the NBA, he went and pastored a church because that's what he knew that God wanted him to do. But when I listened to Forrest Arnold talk in our classes, he said he remembers hearing people say, over the years, that I think it was his father, if I remember right, I may mess the story up a little bit, but he said that, I don't want to say this wrong, but it seemed like it was his father had a, a really bad temper, and, and whoever, maybe it wasn't his father, but it was somebody in his family, but I just remember him explicitly revealing this, that he would watch family members, and they all say, well, this one has a temper, this one has a temper, and, and it just became kind of known, and everybody began to follow suit of the first person. And in our lives, how many of us have followed suit over someone who lived it before us? It's easy to do. It's easy to do. I shared last night that as a man growing up till I was 25, I didn't know anyone like my father. Force Honor was pretty close, but I didn't know anybody like Marvin. I had someone to live an example in front of me and and. I remember so many times thinking, how could I ever be half the man as my dad? And I still am not half the man of my dad. But I thought about the environment that I was raised in, and I began to think about the environments a lot of us have been raised in. And we watched the same reoccurring thing happen this generation, this generation, this generation, and that generation. And how does it change? And this is where we're going to close. In Mark chapter 9, I'll make reference only. The disciples were being questioned by the scribes and Pharisees. and They had been prayed for this man whose son was demon-possessed and he couldn't do it. And then when Jesus comes walking up, he says, Why are you questioning my disciples? And the father said, Hey, I need to talk to you. And as he began to talk to him, the last verses of chapter 9, this is what I'll read to you in Mark chapter 9. There are things in regions and places and in families that there will never be victories and there will never be freedom in that house and in that individual until this begins to happen. And when he was coming to the house, this is Jesus, his disciples asked him privately, why could not we cast him out? 
And I want you to ask yourself, that thing, that issue, that, that unforgiveness, that bitterness, that anger, whatever it is, why is it you can't get rid of it? Why does it keep resurfacing? Why does it keep raising its head? The disciples asked Jesus, why can we not deal with this? And you know what the scripture says? He said, because this kind only comes out through prayer and fasting. We started in the book of Daniel. Daniel's prayers had to break through all this heaviness, and it broke through because of prayer and fasting. So I'm going to speak this to you. I don't push fasting a lot. I probably should a whole lot more. But I do think it's something that's extremely personal. So what I'm going to talk to you about as we close is if you are a person, and there's an area, there's a region, there's a, a part of your life, or maybe your whole life is consumed with something that consumes you. The reason you'll never remove it is because it can only come out through prayer and fasting. So what does prayer and fasting do? This may make sense, it may not. <clears throat> prayer and fasting is the separation of the flesh and the spirit. Taking authority over things that bind us. Generational curses, spirit of negativity, dark thinking. A disciplined spirit creates a disciplined environment. And what happens when we begin to discipline the spirit man, he can begin to discipline the flesh man. Because every one of us have things in our flesh that we have to battle and we war against. And they're things that begin to rise up. So how do we learn to overcome it? We overcome it by encouraging and growing and developing the spirit man. So whatever the territory is, the way you overcome it is through prayer and fasting. Does that make any sense? Here's the thing. What is fasting? Well, let me tell you why fasting, you can say this. Fasting from drinking Diet Coke, Sister Blau, for a week is not fasting. Fasting from not drinking a Mountain Dew all week is not fasting. Fasting from not uh, watching uh, the NCAA tournament on CBS is not fasting. Those are just little self-denials that a lot of people do in this month of Lent. But when it comes to fasting is you're purposely, purposely, disciplining the flesh not to cater to it to cater to the spirit so you don't just miss a meal you don't just say i'm gonna i'm gonna and you can you can miss a meal you can miss two meals a day you can miss three meals you can miss the whole week which is hard but you can do that only thing i would say is drink some water jesus didn't but i'm going to tell you to drink some water if you want to fast begin to fast and when you fast though you got to take time to set aside to pray and read pray and read develop and build your spirit man to learn how to fight against the flesh man because to be honest with you, our greatest failures is our flesh. And how do we learn to manipulate the flesh? Because we make the spirit man more strong. We grow him into being able to dominate the flesh. Am I killing you? So there we all have territories. So how are you going to overcome it? Well, I have a lot of willpower. And I think I do have a lot of willpower. But to sustain things and keep things out of your life, you have to spend time in prayer. And when things begin to raise their head, that's when you enter into a fast. And you strengthen yourself spiritually through a fast.